Welcome back to another episode of Vancouver Real. I am your host today, Andy Zaremba, and I am flying solo as my younger brother Mike is out in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, opening our next franchise location, which is, of course, Float House Edmonton. So it's a really exciting time for us. It's our first out-of-province location. We're, uh, we're happy to bring you know, floating and the service and all the goodness that it offers to the people of Alberta. And uh, we'd like to open there more. So big congratulations to Dominic McKenzie, the franchisee out in Alberta. And uh, of course, Mike, we missed today. And of course, speaking of floating, we are recording out of Float House here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And if you haven't heard of floating before, go over to our website, just floathouse.ca. And we have all sorts of information and videos to explain more in depth what it is. But um, this time of year, I personally find that I need it more than anything. And, you know, the fall is always busy for everybody, right? You, have, you know, it's a busy time of year. We have the holiday seasons coming up, and especially in December. And I find personally that I get uh, stress accumulates in my body, and I, and I totally feel it in my face and my face starts scrunching up and I can feel it between my eyebrows and all this tension I'm always holding. So I personally made a, a practice now of floating at least twice a week. And this week I've floated three times. I'm floating for my fourth time this week, actually today after this podcast. And I found it's been just amazing just to prevent that stress accumulation from going on in my body. Um, and I can go on with my week and be normal, busy and, you know, doing all the things we do, like launching our businesses and uh, doing podcasts and, you know, taking care of our social life and our families and health and fitness. And I can do all of that and not get totally burnt out all the time. So if you're feeling that fall stress or maybe even those um, seasonal blues, as they call it, because it's always gray in Vancouver this time of year, you know, go to floathouse.ca and you can use the promo code recovery and that'll get you a 20% discount on a single float. And as always, we have to give a shout out to Omed over at Megapoint. He's the one who does the audio editing at the end of these podcasts and making us sound really good. And he also runs a really awesome YouTube channel. It's on Facebook as well called Omega Point, which is uh, a very artistic expression for him where he will create video mashups and he'll feature people like Dr. Gabor Mate. Alan Watts, Terrence McKenna. He's done video work for Jason Silva. He's done video work for Graham Hancock. And he puts together these really cool, inspirational mashup videos, which are, you know, very eye-opening, thought-provoking, and uh, just really interesting to listen to. And they kind of get your, your brain thinking in different ways. So go check out Omega Point when you get a chance. And as always, we give a shout-out to the London Real Academy. And thank you very much for your support over there for the people over in London who are part of the LRA who listen to our episodes regularly. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate the work of Brian Rose, uh, founder of London Reel. And um, thanks for the inspiration to do our podcast. So without further ado, this is a podcast I feel like it's been a long time coming because I've known this gentleman for a while now. We met another VETC, Vancouver Entrepreneurs Toastmasters Club uh, friend. And he's also done some work with us at Float House. He helped us create our power improvement plan for our employees, which has been really cool because we, we basically do a quarterly assessment of our employees and we work on things like how can they improve professionally, but also how can they improve their own personal lives and move forward in whatever that looks like for them. Could be even working themselves out of a job. You know, if we can improve our employees to the point where they're too, 
high level to be working here, then that's a great thing. And if we, I want to, you know, it's partially kind of trying to get that reputation of being uh, a great employer so people will uh, get more than just a paycheck when they work at Float House, right? And of course, they get the float, which is a pretty nice benefit as well. So I'd like to introduce Max, and I'm going to let you say your last name. Chereau. Chereau. Charon. Charon. And he's French-Canadian, so that's why it's really difficult to pronounce. <laughs> and Max is a corporate responsibility, sustainable, corporate responsible, say it, Cor- say it for me. Corporate social responsibility expert. Perfect. Yes. And that could be a really good place for us to start today. So why don't you explain what that is? Um, before I explain what I do, it is really important to understand what corporate social responsibility is. Um, and I'd say 90% of what I do with businesses is really education because there is a lot of lack on exactly what sustainability in company is. And that's where we really take them from, we've got a seven step process really to walk them through, but it's really to understand that sustainability is not a cost. It's really a long-term investment that will bring you an ROI not only to monetize on it but also have a positive impact on the social and environmental performance of your company. Right. And it it kind of is along the lines of what a B Corp certification is, if people know what that is, Um, right? Yes. So a B Corp certification, just to explain what what the certification is, it's not – it's it's a sustainability – certification for companies. However, unlike having an organic product that really only certified the product that you are selling, it really looks over your entire company. Yes. And it looks towards your governance, your environmental performance, your social performance, how you treat your employees and under the, the workers. Um field of uh, the B Corp assessment. And it really englobes the entire company and its product to make sure that when you buy from one of those companies, not only the product is certified, but where it comes from, its supply chain and all the way down the LC, which is the life cycle uh, analysis. Right. And I like their their mission statement because when you first read about B Corp, it's like uh, to make sure that my business is a force of good in the community. Correct. Simple as that, right? And that's all-encompassing. And we started a process uh, where you did a whole analysis of Floathouse, actually, on you know what we're doing well, what we could improve upon, and what we could work towards. And that really comes back to what you're doing now. Now you're not you're not working with B Corp anymore or doing the certifications. You're doing your entire entirely own project now. I do my entirely own project. However, if a company wants to become B Corp, I can also assist them towards um, the whole process to get there. But it's not the main focus of what I do now. I really have my own program and system to walk the business through uh, the sustainability journey. Exactly. And I think it's something that's so important these days and going to become more and more important, especially in the eyes of consumers, right? People are going to want to know that you're not just a greedy corporation trying to squeeze every little penny out of your mm-hmm. business and not caring about people or the environment or, you know, whatever you might be trampling along, along the way uh, just to make your business grow for profit's sake, right? And people are now taking a lot of interest, especially in Vancouver, 
I would say. Vancouver is a very aware social responsibility, social responsibility uh, mecca, I would say, right? Correct. And uh, so locally, it's going to be huge. But I think it's really going to have to be a trend for all business in the future. And, it's, you know, we can go into a really big conversation about that. Um, however, why do you feel like it's so important that people start looking at their business more holistically, let's say, as opposed to just for profit? I think I'll just use the B Corp tagline, use your company as a force for good. Because especially as we've seen right now, um, companies individual and individuals are the ones that will have an impact on our society and our planet. Because if we're always waiting for the government to put a regulation in or act first, we're going to wait for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. For sure, right? And um, if, you, if you move even further than that, a business is also often seen as an image. They have a brand image. And if you want to make sure that com- uh, clients are staying within your company, you need, to have a, you need to bring a lot more values than just the price. If you're always competing on price, your, your customers are going to shop around. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because when it really started in, let's say, 20, in, in the early 2000s, it was uh, within the, B, the B2C, as we call it, the business to customers, right? And the customers were asking for greener product. And that's how it started. However, now... Nowadays, people are a lot more aware of what's going on, and they don't not only want green products, but they also want to make sure that the company they're dealing with is also green. And by doing so, they have to look into their supply chain, which triggers down to the B2B approach, and not only B2C used to be when it first began. Right. And so it started with the environmental movement, which is a great place to start for sure. Um, And... I know it is like, um, a trendy thing for a lot of businesses to say they're environmentally friendly, right? Mm-hmm. But as you as you uh, told me, we were talking before the podcast, how a lot of businesses will actually uh, do what's known as greenwashing. So essentially, they'll give this image that they're environmentally friendly and sustainable. However, they are really, it's just it's a facade. It's something that they're doing just for marketing purposes, essentially. And they're not really getting... Uh, into the nitty-gritty of their business and what they could be doing better or more sustainably, correct? Correct. And people need to be aware about this. And when they buy product, make sure you do your research first. Make sure sometimes it could be, especially with soap and chemicals, make sure you turn the bottle around and look at what it's in there. Some of those will be biodegradable, biodegradable, and some others will only use less chemicals or they will use less um, damaging chemicals, but they're still in there and you can smell it. A lot of people think that when it's clean, it smells good and that's how it relates. But if it smells really good, it comes from some third-party chemical that is in your product. Right. And that's a good indicator of if you... If they're starting to do greenwashing or not. Exactly. Just try not to uh, shake the table oh, there. Sorry. It's okay. It's shaking the camera. Okay. Um, yeah. So 
what I really like about what you guys are doing is what you what you're doing personally as a consultant and uh, also what the B Corp certification is all about is when you get that B Corp seal of approval, like that thing is legit. Yes. And it is hard to get. Yes. And they're not only it's hard to get because like we've been through with this business, most businesses are Okay, so the way it works, it's out of 200 points, and you need 80 points to be a B Corp certified company. From that, most businesses will fall between 40 and 60 points. Right. Now, we got some work to do to get to 80, and that's the minimum. And it's still 40%, which of the, of the total amount of points, which seems pretty easy to achieve, but it is so rigorously thorough yeah. that... Just getting that 20 points will mean you might have a lot of work or a lot of work in a short period of time because it's all things that can be done um, very quickly, but it's never really been um, done before by the owner or it's not, it's been disregarded. That's really the word. A lot of people think that, oh, I'm in the service industry. I recycle, we're a green business, there's much there's not much more we can do. Yeah. However, there's a lot more you can do. Not sure. only charity, but we're also well, most of us know that money works when we're sleeping. So your corporation or your company, you invest your money or the profit that you make every year. Where do you invest it? Have you looked into responsible investing? What kind of responsible investments are you doing? Because, again, responsible investment, then you have a lot of different categories, whether it's impact investing, fossil-free fund, or religious negative screening. And all those um, different options can have not only an impact on your business, on your return on investment, but also um, the impact on society and the project that and the companies that you're investing in. So even though you're just a... I'm not going to say just, but just, you, you are a service-based company, um, you can have a lot more impact than simply recycling. It could be, I'm working with a company, in, it's in the U.S. actually, and it's called the Rural Printer. And what they do is they um, build paper and they manufacture paper and they do printing services, but it's made out of sugarcane, not out of trees. And the way it started is really when um, somebody talked to the owner and told him that he was responsible for cutting 50,000 trees a year. Wow. And he they're not a big, big pr- printing, um, printing manufacturer. They're really kind of mid-size. But if you're thinking mid-size company is, pr- is responsible of cutting 50,000 trees... And you can replace that with sugarcane fiber and make the exact same type of paper and having the same um, capabilities of recycling afterward and being reused. The sugarcane is not, a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, you're taking food out of the supply chain, which is not true because it's after the sugar has been extracted. So instead of the sugarcane being either burnt or buried, we can reuse it for other purposes. So that's just an example of how you can find in your industry a product or really instead of having um, raw resources 
as a primarily as a primary resource for your for your uh, product, you really can find other ways, and a lot of times is byproducts from other industry ca- that can become your raw material for your own product. Yeah, and that comes down to supply chain, and really there's there, there's a lot more going on, but that's a really good place to start. Yeah, and it seems like you know what you're taking on here is. It's pretty massive, really. And this doesn't seem like there's a lot of people doing what you're doing right now. It's It seems to be, for the most part, business as usual. There are some companies that are taking notice and doing that for sure. But there's going to be a lot of companies that, you know, as we know, information flows very freely these days, right? Yeah. So it's almost impossible for a company to hide their dirty laundry for that long. And it's going to come out eventually. It's going to come out, right? No matter who it is. Like if you're a clothing manufacturer and you're doing sweatshop labor in a you know, third world country, uh, you're, if you're clear cutting lots of forests in the Amazon, if you're uh, creating all sorts of pollution or you know, chemicals and toxification, whatever it happens to be, all that's going to be exposed one day mm-hmm. for sure, right? And I don't think you want to be on the receiving end of that when that happens. No. No, you don't. Yeah. And what people fail to understand is it's basically not, it's not their fault. I cannot put that on their fault at all. It's the fault of our financial and economic system. Everything is short-based incentive, right? So next quarter, next year, if you have a five-year plan and you're thinking ahead, and if it's 10 years where you're hoping that's going to happen because there's so much in between. So much volatility. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So people don't tend to go even further than 10 years, five if you're lucky, and most likely you get monthly quotas or quarterly quotas when you're a salesperson. Right. Or even just a shareholder or your CEO, you're focused on the next quarter all the time to make sure your shareholders are happy. And you're keeping your job. Exactly. But running a business that way, fast forward not 10 years, but 20 and 30 years when Generation Z especially – pretty much our kids will come in or generation Z actually starts. They're graduating from high school right now. So that's the first wave of generation Z. They are highly, highly aware of what's going on. Like you said, social media, open sources, they have information outside of what CNN or CBC in Canada is telling us. Yep. And by being fully aware they also have different purchasing habits. And those are your next clients. Mm-hmm. Gener- sure. The millennials right now are already over 50% of the workforce. That makes a huge impact. And that is something else that lots of other consultants can tap in is actually doing HR conflicts and businesses between millennials and boomers right. and Generation X. And by forgetting those variables and what's coming next, your company will be impacted by those, especially big businesses. Small businesses, you can turn yourself around pretty quick. You're fine. Oh, Keep going. Just... You can turn yourself around pretty quick. But when you're a bigger company, your ship takes a lot longer to navigate and to reroute. Definitely, yeah. And that's by taking the steps right now to make sure that you're going to be ahead of the game, you're going to become an industry leader, 
and most people are going to have to follow your steps because it's all about customers. If you can save, serve your customers the way they want to be, then you're failing at you know, business. It's all about customers for sure. And there's definitely a monetary incentive for people to become uh, more socially sustainable, more mm-hmm. socially responsible, whatever you want to call it. Um, and there's also, you know, the moral incentive, right? Oh. So it's like, you know, if you know you're causing harm and whatever it is that you're doing, you know, it's a lot of people do it and maybe it's unconscious or conscious or they just pretend it's not a big deal, but they sweep a lot of things under the rug. And again, it comes down to what kind of a world are we passing on to future generations, right? And we know we live in a world that has finite resources. We have an uh, environment which is like a petri dish and we're, we keep pumping out all these gases and greenhouse gases, chemicals, whatever it happens to be into the environment. Um, and we know we can't do that forever, right? So my, my question is, where's the tipping point? When does somebody say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm going to take responsibility for this and change the way I'm doing business, right? Because... You know, when you're lying there at the end of the end of your life, potentially, you know, you want to look back and be like, you know what? I left this place better than when I got here. Right. And I and I put it into a direction that's going to be more sustainable for future generations. And we can all continue to live happily as humans on this planet. Right. And that's like the big picture of the whole thing. But that's really what it is. Yes. Um, I don't have an answer for the tipping point. Because I think it's personal for every single individual. My tipping point's been triggered when I was in university and really when I got into this because I was, my background, I, I have an international business degree from University of Ottawa while we were in the last financial crisis, right? And I was, what, 1920 back then, sitting in your classroom and your teachers teaching you the business model model that led to the financial crisis. And in your own mind, you're thinking, wait a second, you want me to go out there and just repeat history? Because your business model that you thought me haven't changed at all. Yeah. Right. And at that point, it's really when it started and where, where, I, where I'm going with that is that was my trigger point and it's different for every single person. Now, for my business, I have two different type of clients. One that is really value-based. They're usually small, medium business owners, 30 to 300 employees, somewhere like that. But they are triggered by, hey, we build this business. It's a family business. It's grown over time. And we've seen the change over 30 years. I want to leave a legacy and a business that's going to keep running for either my kids or adding value if I have to sell it down the road because it's going to be ready to grow again. The other type of customer that I have is really because of regulations. So either they're losing market share because they're not tapping into this green vibe that we have right now, which is never, a lot of people think it's a fad, but it can be. Nobody's going to stay tomorrow. We're going to stop caring about the planet. That is not going to happen. So those people want me to help them just making sure that they're up to regulation, they're compliant. Uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'd say most people is really value-based driven. And 
to tap on what are we going to leave to our childs and next generations and their kids, our grandkids, basically. Um, we, we've all heard about the LNG um, project that's been approved by the federal, federal government about two weeks ago, I think now. Time flies, so I'm, I'm not really sure on timeline, but about two weeks ago. Fill us in on what that is. And I, I was in a conference uh, last week with um, – it was brought by Genesis Capitals, and they were really thinking about how to invest in the future. And it, 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 this topic raises a lot of questions. When you go in other conferences sometimes, people are having one or two questions. But it's, what I find is most business conferences are pretty quiet on questions. But when you tap into climate change, sustainability, and whatnot, people have a lot of questions because there's a lot of uncertainty and they want to have answers. And what really struck me is really when I ask a question saying, hey, here's a long-term plan. The LNG is for government a long-term plan, but for them, within 15 to 20 years, that should be it. That's pretty much what the plan is. Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, we have a two-year-old at home so when she graduates from college or university, this industry is over. We need to start a new one. Why don't we build something that's going to last for them as well so they can just build on top of it instead of having to start over and over and over again like we've been doing? Mm -hmm. And I think globally, it is a very big challenge because we have well, most people know what globalization is, but it's pretty much when you send manufacturing offshore. And the way North America and most of European countries work right now is they have the brain or the head office and all the engineering in North America. So we're in office towers. But all the manufacturing's happened overseas. But what we're seeing with new technology, and I'll take solar panel as an example, China is now the most important producer, investor, and um, customer of solar panels. So if we're not tapping into renewable energy at all, when LNG is over and there's solar panel or windmills or everything everywhere, we're going to have a long time transitioning towards that. I agree with this. It's not going to happen over time. But when it's done, if we're not tapping into it, what's left for us? They don't need the brain anymore. They have the manufacturing and they're their own customers as well. Just because overall, they are a bigger market, but we need to be able to add value to that market as well. And that's not being discussed, not that I'm aware of anyways. Yeah. And uh, that's just one example. Right. That is only one example. Yeah, and uh, it just seems like, oh, man, you could go so many places with examples like that. And I do like how you are talking about the, you know, the value-driven incentive, you know, providing value for businesses and uh, making it, um, you know, financially uh, attractive for them to want to go this route, right? Because um, that's probably going to be a stronger motivating factor than falling asleep at night and be like, hey, what am I doing with the planet, right? Uh -huh. It's like, how can I make more money, grow my business in a sustainable way that's going to, you know, uh, 
it's going to survive the test of time, essentially, right. right? So you're building something that's, you know, and to me, it seems you're very forward thinking. It's very forward thinking for a lot of people. I mean, it's definitely on a lot of people's radar. I don't really know a lot of people that do this work uh, at all. Actually, you're probably the only one I know who does this. So what? Let me ask you this: then. what what motivates you then? What drives you to do this kind of work? Make a global change. I know it sounds really big and sometimes unachievable, but if you're setting yourself small goals and you achieve them, you'll feel good, but they'll still be smaller goals. If you shoot a lot higher and you miss them by a little bit, you still went a longer way than you would have with the smaller goal. And it's not for everyone, and I understand it, but to me, I need to have an impact not only for myself or the children or the legacy or my image or reputation over that. It's really just deep down what are we doing right now that is obviously not working and how can we live, leave a legacy for our kids and for really the Future next generation, generations. For sure, yeah. Like, we also, like the Na- First Nations, they always lived to make sure that they were leaving something, not for themselves, not for their kids or their grandkids, but 10 generations down the road. We're thinking four months ahead. Where have we started disconnecting so much? To me, honestly, I'm blaming the economic, the the financial system, because it's based on this really short-term gain. But I'm sure there's a lot more variable into play. For sure. Definitely. Now, maybe we could uh, switch gears a little bit. Um, I was wondering if you've heard of recently or, you know, what are some examples of businesses that were caught kind of with their pants down, for lack of a better way of saying it, where, you know, they were, uh, you know, appearing to have an image or something like that. Do you know any businesses or big corporations that were exposed for bad practices? Do you have any examples like that? I don't have a big, big company as corporation for bad practices. Well, maybe one, actually. It was not really on corporate social responsibility. But if you think about Volkswagen, that's the obvious one. It was not greenwashing, but just saying that their emission was less than it actually was. And funny enough, we bought... A Golf TDI three weeks before the news came out, out of yeah. a SUV because we wanted to lower our our own emission, right? Right. So I don't really understand what happened there. Can you explain what happened? Okay. So the Volkswagen scandal that happened about a year ago now it was in August 2015. Um, what happened is they cheated on their emission test. So when the car was on the emission test uh, from uh, regulate for regulations, the computer knew and it was reducing its own emission, but on the road, it was a different computer software that was running and you had higher emission. I think it was 40 times higher than what it was supposed to be. Don't quote me on that, but it, it's around that number. And it really, you can you could see it right away. 
shareholders, everybody was pulling out. They lost, it cost them billions of dollars and they're still um, within lawsuits in the States and Canada and around, around the world about what they're going to do with the cars. If they're going to buy them back, if they're going to uh, just give money to customers that have car, TDI cars um, simply to, you know, kind of acknowledge that they were wrong and trying to, I'm calling this buying peace. Yeah. But at that point, your reputation is taking... Took a big hit. Oh, yeah. It's taking a big hit. And a lot of people are not going to buy that brand anymore because they don't have confidence. Right. So that And that's one example. I'm sure there's... You could probably go on the internet and find 20 more, no problem, right? Oh, yeah. Th- like there's that. plenty. It's, it's a lot more uh, obvious with smaller companies but when i mean smaller i don't mean small small companies but they might not be public companies yeah because the outcome will not be the same yeah right okay yeah i mean it's going it's it's something that uh is definitely going to be on the radar and like we said before like that information flows so free right Uh and it's really probably impossible to cover it up when something that comes out and uh, it pays dividends to be a little more proactive in our thinking. And we were talking about that a little before earlier was, uh, you know, being proactive instead of just waiting for a disaster to happen um, to make a change. Right. Yes. And we can talk a lot more than just business wise. Um, if we think about the, <laughs> The sea level rise. A lot of people think it might never happen or it starts happening or it's going to happen way down the road, but nobody really is taking action towards it. A few cities are looking into it, but it's like humanity is really reactive and not proactive. But we need to start being a lot more proactive because we have the data and we know that's coming. How can we minimize the impact? Because even if we stop every single emission today, all the buses, all the cars, all the manufacturing, all the coil plant, they just shut down. Everything's out today. We still have warmed up the planet enough that it's going to take at least 50 to 100 years to start cooling down. And we warm the planet enough and the glaciers are just going to keep melting and they're going to keep rising the ocean. So no matter what we do, by 2050 to 2100, which is forward thinking, yes, but it's not something we can escape. So are we going to start building higher in higher ground because right now we have only in Miami, they have over $3 trillion of real estate that's going to go to zero when that happens. And it's going to happen progressively. It's not going to happen over time. It's not going to be like a lightning. It strikes or a storm and then it's gone. It's going to be over time. But Miami's feeling that already. Sea level rise at King Tide, it floods the street going through... um, uh, the waterways and there's fish in the street. And then when the tide goes out, well, the fish don't always go back and, you know, they got to clean up every single now and then. Well, they have dinner. 
they have dinner. <laughs> they do have dinner. <laughs> Which is, this is really bad. Yeah, it's not. But that's yeah. something how, like the financial impact of that, what are we going to do? We're a little bit off topic of business wise right yeah. now, but if you're talking global impact, Bangladesh got a million people that they had to migrate, migrate upper country just because their homes been um, gone by erosion as the tide was coming up and up and up. And it's a little bit like Richmond here is really like Sandy land. Right. And it just, it's washed just away. gone. Just washed away. Um, what are they predicting in terms of sea level rising? Like for example, a city like Vancouver, are we going to be underwater? Richmond, most of Richmond will depending on, we, we know, we know that it will, we just don't know the timeline. The timeline is between 20, 50, they say within 50 to 100 years, it will be between three to five meters, but that is conservative. And as we all know that we're not going to start producing CO2 emission tomorrow. It's probably going to heat up more. It's going to, it's going to go quicker. Right. So it's so crazy when you start thinking of it like that, because Mm -hmm. it seems like we have, uh, you know, even if we do stop everything today, like you said, we have 50 to 100 years minimum of warming going on still. Right. Correct. So I don't know. I mean, it's great to definitely think forward and be like, all right, how do we stop these emissions? What's the answer, though? Because this is going to happen. It seems like it seems like we're not escaping this anymore. Mm -hmm. So. Is there other solutions we can do? For example, I've heard you can do things like, um, I can't remember, they seed the atmosphere with uh, a certain subs- a certain material, which actually reflects sun back. So it actually helps cool the planet down. There's things like that, like different initiative technological innovations they could do to pen- potentially speed up the... Uh, cooling you know, process. Speed up the cooling <laughs> process, reduce you know pollution, that kind of thing. Because, I mean, here's the thing, it's already going to happen. Correct. Right? So how do you... You know, what's the next, what's the next step? Is it even fixable? Um, that's an excellent question. There's not a lot of technologies that I know of out there that are being used in mass production. There's some technology that actually capture carbon, retain it, and then we can bury it back in earth crust where it comes from, from our fossil fuel. Mm-hmm. Now, I have not heard any of major project on this side. There's technology out there, but there's no investment or regulation that's been put on saying, okay, we move ahead. So no one's taking action with that right now? Nobody's taking action with that right now that I know of. If you know of something, please let me know. Yeah. Contact that, me. That's at, large scale. Like, yes. There's like little backyard projects going on, things like that. There's always startups. Yeah. There's always new technologies. How far it's going to go, even if it's the greatest idea of the world, that's a different story. The electric car has been invented way, way back. We only see mass production now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm losing my thought now. It's okay. <laughs> it happens all the time. It'll come back to you. Yeah. I mean, the electric car thing has been very intriguing for me personally. Yes. Um, you know, one of my goals, I'm like, well, you know, what are the things that I do? I think about on a personal level, what are the things that I do on a day-to-day basis that are contributing to the problem, right? 
to the best of my knowledge and the information that I have, one would be driving fossil fuels, right? Even I have a little tiny Honda Civic. I mean, so it's pretty low emission, but still it's contributing. Um, so there's that. And the second one is uh, I've heard eating meat consumption, like excess mm-hmm. meat and uh, factory farming. You know, if anyone watched Cowspiracy out there, you know what I'm talking about. Again, I'm not sure how accurate that information is in that movie, but I'm sure there's an impact there. Right. So I'm like, what can I do on a personal level that will will start making change in the direction that we need to go? And I think about getting an electric car and reducing meat consumption. Those are the two big ones that come to mind for me. And those are great on an individual level. Those are amazing um, examples. I know a lot of people are either vegan or vegetarian, which is fine. But think about the impact of just every single human reducing its meat consumption in half. You don't have to stop eating meat because I I strongly believe that humans... It's part of a we, healthy diet. Yeah, it, it's part of it. I'm not saying we need meat every single meal yeah. or every single day. But ultimately, there's a value in eating meat and that's how the hum, human body is built and that's how... Our ancestors We've, been eating yeah. as well. We've evolved to have a little bit of that in our diet. Exactly. I'm not saying that you can't survive being vegan or vegetarian. It's not optimized. That's all. N- not my thought anyways. Yeah. But if you cut in half, only in half, now it's all the fish in the ocean. It's all the deforestation for agriculture. It's all the um, greenhouse gases, greenhouse methane, all the crops that need to be grown to feed the animal and it's not directly fed to humans. Yeah. It has huge impact because you need less tractors, you need less seed, you need less water, especially way less energy, way less energy overall. Yeah. And that also personally, before, like, we we oftentimes we forget how much we buy. And we don't know, that's something that's really interesting to me, is we don't even know a t-shirt. What's the environmental impact of a sweater or a t-shirt? Don't even think about it. Just for t-shirts, it's about 9,000 liters of fresh water. Yep. But people don't know that. That includes manufacturing the cotton. That includes um, dyeing it and all the waste from dyeing it, which is a completely different topic. But when you see red, yellow, and green rivers in China, just because there's no process at all, it's just flushed out in the river, it is pretty bad. And that is just one T-shirt. And if we get into this, it's really, where are your products made? That's really what it comes down to. It's not stop shopping and stop buying everything tomorrow, but be conscious of what you're buying. The first thing you should ask yourself is not, oh, do I want it or do I actually need it? If you need it because because you don't have one, a piece of gear or but if it's only because you haven't you want to have an extra one or you're tired of washing the same one over time, it doesn't make sense to me anyways. And to, well, yeah. Well, you know, it kind of got me on a new train of thought too. Actually, is that um, 
this is where I kind of come in in our line of work and what we do. Don't worry. We get lots of interesting yeah. people doing stuff outside the window. People, it's kind of cool because people will wave at us during the yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. and uh, we wave back and some people take pictures of us. I'm like, hey, you know, so it's, I don't know, whatever. It's cool. It's getting interaction, yeah, get right? Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm of the belief as well that human beings in general, uh, a lot of times we consume or we have this drive to uh, produce more or consume more or buy more, have more, whatever it happens to be, because we're really actually filling a void inside of us, right? There's something, a deeper level that we're actually filling where we buy and we consume. Like, you know, I'll use some example of uh, a billionaire that has a, uh, a yacht across the, um, the water on North Vancouver. Um, you know, his yacht costs $250 million or something like that. And the dude has seven of them. You know, except the Royal. That was the, that's the biggest one, right? But he's got seven yachts. So you got to ask yourself at that point, what are you really doing? You know, what's going on there? What's this? You know, and I, I personally think that it's, it's some kind of uh, lack of value or love, lack of self worth that people are trying to fill by mm. achieving and consuming and producing more and being bigger and better and always going for more and more and more instead of being happy and being realizing that we are actually complete human beings as we are right now and we don't actually need material things necessarily to be happy i'm not saying that you don't need shelter food uh clothing medical supply i'm not saying all that i'm saying how much do you really need to be happy and if you are getting seven yachts what are you really doing there what that's ego out of control in my opinion right so this is kind of what we do at float house and we're we're showing people that Happiness actually comes from within you, right? It's not going to come from whatever you buy or your next promotion or that fancy car or their bigger house or a million dollars in the bank. Because guess what? You can't take that with you, right? And this is another approach at it is the idea of, yes, let's produce it sustainably, but why do we require so much, right? It's been such a culturally thing that's been programmed into us in North America for a long time, since we were children, right? And... You know, can we be happy with just, you know, having enough, having enough? What's enough, right? What's enough? Yeah. That's the definition that everyone's going to have a different opinion on. But I completely understand what you're saying. And to add to that, to me, there's nothing wrong with if you're successful and you want to buy a $100,000 car, you want to buy a Tesla or whatever. You don't have to drive. Yeah, you don't have to drive a Fit or a Civic and be like everybody else. That's not the point. But when you have a garage with two Ferraris, three Lamborghinis, and a Bugatti, let's say I don't know what your garage might be, but this is where excess comes into play. Yeah. Well, even that's like an extreme example, right? The seven yachts is an extreme example. Correct. Right. Yeah. But to me. I think it's more than ego. Have you ever heard the, um, I can't remember who said that though, but it's, we're, we're going to have to edit this. <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. It's a free flowing um, conversation. How we're, we're in a society where we're going to jobs we don't like to impress, to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. Ah, so you're talking about fight club now. 
Is that what it is? That's what he says. That's a okay. famous quote from that movie. Okay, I didn't, yeah. I, I, I I didn't hear from him. It was a TED Talk in, from someone in Sydney. Oh, well, he ripped that off from, okay. from uh, Tyler Durden, actually, in the movie Fight Club. Thank you. So That's you know. probably where it comes from. Then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we work jobs we hate to buy shit we don't need is the exact quote. I, I'm going to have to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great movie. But But, yeah, and really it's like, if you want to have really big goals, and especially I think I don't want to put people younger generation or older generation because if most people don't know, Bill Gates spent don't spend actually give billions of dollars every day in charity in Africa and trying to he's mostly towards health and providing life for people. But if you want to be rich, not for the sake of saying, "Hey, I want to show off." But if you want to be rich to say, hey, I want a good quality of life for myself and my family, but everything extra, I help other people. I help causes. I give to charity. I help my community. I help to build if whatever. You're, if you're doing it from that legit point, you know, um, for example, there's a thing about Mark Zuckerberg uh, Selling a huge, I can't remember what it was, but basically he made a ton of money from Facebook Mm -hmm. by putting it into something that was for charity. But it actually turned out that it was all for tax purposes, so he could uh, avoid paying taxes or something. I don't remember how it works. It was on Facebook for a while, circulating, and then all of a sudden got pulled off of Facebook. Funny enough, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah, I mean, as long as they're doing it from a legit place. But I, you know, I see a lot of people have that mindset of like, I'm going to give to charity. Whence, or you know, I want to make a, a lot of money so I can make a difference and infect more people. That's like that's kind of like the a justification for wanting to 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 get rich, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way of saying it, right? And I mean, yeah, you 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 can maybe create a foundation and help a lot of people by doing that. But do you have to get rich first before you can go help other people? That's a hard question that I haven't even figured out myself, to be honest. Yeah, like. <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about charity here, but I'm going to say saving, not people, but making a drastic change in three major industry. And let's just talk about the one that everybody knows, Elon Musk. Yeah. He is not money driven whatsoever. Yeah. Great he, example. He almost lost everything just to try to prove a point that we can make an electric car and doesn't have to come from Detroit. Yeah. So he is a great example. As, as far as I can tell, what I know about him, for sure. And I've heard some pretty nutty stuff from Elon. He said that his motivation for doing what he's doing is because he believes the planet's going to you know, go to hell, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we need to figure out how to leave the planet. That's and, that's what he's he's, and that's his big motivation. <laughs> that's why insane, he's going to Mars. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so, right. Now, that's large-scale impact, right? That's what he's thinking. That's, and that's, there's, there's definitely a place for that, okay. for sure. I, I see what you're going with your question. You can always have an impact, even if it's a small impact. Like, it, even if you're having your job and you don't like to, like, everybody's different. A lot, lot, some people will want to have a big impact and have big exposure and really be out there. Some people like more smaller scale stuff because it fits their personality and there is nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, examples. Just go volunteer two, two hours a week. It's going to make a difference in your community Mm -hmm. do the ride to conquer cancer and raise twenty five hundred dollars or sure there's no there's 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 no examples like that exactly and it's the same for companies who who are you sponsoring 
right? Yep. And the other thing is, too, uh, I believe individuals can make a huge impact because we do vote with our dollars. We do. Right? I actually had to talk about that. <laughs> right. And it does go back to a lot of what, about, you know, what you do and what your, your business is about, what your consulting business is, um, you know, again, future generations, including our generation is definitely there. We're, it's on a lot of people's radar. But in, in uh, the younger generations, the millennials, Generation <laughs> Z, um, Z, whatever they call themselves, I don't know. Um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, it's going to be even more so on their mind. It is already on their mind. Right? They learned that at so school. So how are you going to uh, be competitive in the future, especially when they're the working, you know, the working age class and making all the money and they're your customers? Now you have to cater to them. It's not even a choice anymore or else guess what? They're not going to shop with you and you won't have a business anymore, whatever that happens to be, right? So um voting with your dollar so i mean people can going back to that small scale impact people can make a huge difference by where they choose to spend their dollars yes and that's what i was thinking talking about earlier between wanting and needing something it's not because the fashion industry changes every single season that you need to change your entire wardrobe that's an extreme point of view but there's people doing that if you have a rain jacket and it's still good keep it you don't need to buy a new one. Yeah. You right. know what? I, okay. I was, I, I've been priding myself lately because I have these, um, uh, what the hell? They're the Australian brand. I'm, I can't think now either. The Australian brand of boots. And you know the ones. Hugs? Not Uggs, but there's another one. Bl- uh, Blundstones. Oh, okay. And I've had those Blundstones for like three and a half years now, and they're worn down, and they're still good, and I still wear them. My backpack I've had for like over a decade now. My coat I've had for f- three, four years. And I'm okay with that. You know, I don't necessarily need to update that stuff yearly or every six months or monthly or weekly or whatever it happens to be for people, right? And um, again, it, it comes back to that whole thing. Like, what are you really doing if, you're, if, you're, if you need to buy a new pair of shoes every week, mm-hmm. right? And uh, again, look at that, whoever it is. I mean, not to guilt anybody for that. But ask yourself, what are you doing there and why are you doing that? What's the purpose of that? Is right. it really for yourself or it's trying to impress or be liked by others? Sure. And it's funny you say that because <laughs> I had the discussion, what was it, a month ago with my girlfriend. And I just came out of the room and she looked at me and she was like, hmm, I'm going to guess you had this thing for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, but it still works. Yeah. Like there's no point of replacing yeah it might not look super trendy for but if i'm staying around the house or if i'm just running about like in about during weekends i'm not trying to impress anyone well you just do that naturally whether you're with your charm and your good looks (laughs) that happens all the time no matter what you do so you don't even need to worry so you're at an advantage because you can just get away with that in real life where most people are like oh man i gotta buy some fancy clothes to look good (laughs) max not a problem thanks andy appreciate it (laughs) no problem um yeah but i mean Going back to what you do, and you know, I, I personally think it's great work, and it's, it's, you're taking on a monster's task, and it's very forward thinking. And I really hope that you become uh, really successful with this because it's uh, you're like um, you're like a warrior, like a social change warrior, essentially. Except you're way more practical. You know what I mean? Because you're talking in terms of um, monetary incentive for companies, and that's what's really going to get their attention right now, uh-huh. especially right. It's great to say like, "Oh, you know, what are you doing, man? You're you're cutting down all these trees. You're polluting the environment." Yeah, okay, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But what's really going to get their attention is how they can save money or even make money 
by what you know and the services that you offer? It's your investment, obviously. At some point, you're going to have to invest before seeing the return on investment like any other project that you're going to be doing in a business. And sometimes it's scary for companies because you don't have the ROI like a piece of machinery. When you buy it for $30,000, it saves you $2,000 a month. Well, you make the math, you got your you ROI within, exactly. Yeah. With this type of investment, depending where you do it, it's a little bit like social media. You're going to have your return on investment, no matter what. It's a certainty. Which way is going to work better? It's a little different. Unless you're starting to change all the light bulbs that we hear a lot about. If you're a manufacturer, you're reducing your water usage, you're, using, you're reducing your chemicals, or even eliminating, 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 <laughs> eliminating it. You're fine. It's good. Um, or even replace your source of raw material and fire by product it'll be way cheaper it might take you six months to a year to find that product but once you do you're going to be running on this um saving for however long you're going to be doing business sure right and a really good point we haven't talked about is that sustainability is three has three pillars we call it the triple bottom line for people who are not aware of it and it's the economy, the social, and environmental perspective. The economy is there. It's not left aside. It's not a bunch of three huggers are trying to save the world. Yes, that's the ultimate. But we're also trying to do it in a way that it makes economic sense for the future generation as well. And a point in especially service industries that when I'm talking to customers is even if we don't even touch the environmental part, because that scares you just by increasing the engagement of your employees in-house, you usually get all my fees pays paid just by that. And why? Because a higher turnover or lower productivity in a business results in more expenses. Mm -hmm. And or lower bottom line. Yeah. Or lower bottom line. Yep. And really what it does is that most of the time, depending on the industry again, hiring somebody else that left is going to cost you 1.5, well, one and a half time um, its salary. So let's say somebody earns $50,000 a year, is leaving, bringing bringing a new person in is going to cost you $75,000. How so? Simply to spend money to find a new one, your time for hiring process, uh, interviews, selection process, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then training that person, because that person is not going to be alone. You're going to need somebody who's going to... Train them. Train that person, which is, it's your HR person or somebody in the same department. Yeah. And you're losing that productivity of the other person who would have done the job from the get-go 100%. Right. And not 10, 20, 50, and until he's up and running. Yeah. And just that usually pays for the fees if that's something that concerns people. But even ultimately, if you want to start doing it on your own, there's a possibility it might be a longer journey. You're going to have to find all the information all over the place, but it is something that is available to you. And it can be done 
tomorrow. Yeah. I'm wondering if when you do put together a proposal for a business, yep. can you actually give them some kind of, um, you know, prediction on return on investment? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm not going to take credit for it because I did not build this spreadsheet, but there's Bob Willard. Um, he is a sustainability expert out of Toronto and he's got that really cool Excel spreadsheet that tells you, depending on the size of your business, your annual income, amount of employees, and uh, there's another one that I'm forgetting right now. But it's going to tell you approximately what your savings are going to be in every single area of your business. Right. Yeah, well, that's huge because, I mean, that, that's something tangible because you said, you know, it's not like buying a piece of equipment where you're going to get a, a definite return on investment on that. But if you can go to a business and say, you know, hey, we can, uh, you know, increase your productivity and lower your expenses here and uh, you're have less employee turnover over here, then you're going to definitely get that employee's attention, right? Correct. And uh, if you can show, like, hey, we're going to affect your bottom line and make your business better and more sustainable, then that's something that's really going to get their attention. You're right? winning three times. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's an awesome endeavor that you're taking on here. And I've, I don't think I can plug that in here, but if you don't, just edit it. Um, <laughs> plug away. Um, what I've seen is by going to conferences and, you know, talking to people and talking to business owners and executives is not everyone has let's say, the uh, budget to spend on a consultant over six months or a year or two years to mm -hmm. implement the whole strategy and the system. And what I'm working on right now is really to deliver all the knowledge in one place for smaller businesses. And then you can have access online and through webinars if you have questions and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of all building this right now for smaller businesses that do not have the capital to hire a uh, full-time consultant. So that's a, a really smart way to do it, to get into the small businesses. Because, yeah, it is tougher for sure. And uh, if you can offer, like you said, classes, webinars, um, mm -hmm. online course material, things like that, I think that that would interest people. And something else I've found in sustainability for being in the field for a little over five years is that there's a lot of sustainability conferences out there but it's the same as any other industry. You're going to find the same people moving from one conference to another. And I don't know if it's just me thinking outside the box, but I think it's just obvious is that if you want to have a global impact, a bigger impact, you need to put your word out there, right? And that's what I realized that, okay, now I'm starting to speak a lot more than what I used to do and go to conferences and just going to manufacturing conferences and you plug sustainability in there because there is a great return on investment to be made. And this is how you're going to actually have a bigger impact instead of waiting for them to come to your sustainability conferences, which they might not even think about in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um so that I think that's another not, not I'm not going to say another but just one type of little tweak that the sustainability industry needs to do uh just to cuz like I said at the beginning 90% of what I'm doing is 
education. Right, so they're not really getting into the, the the right trade shows and things like that to really educate the people who need it. None of it's so you're going to these these you know uh, what do you call them uh, conferences, whatever you want to call them, yeah, well, and it's the same people at the same. Yeah. So it's like this little bubble of people that yeah we get it. Well, let's go and take that knowledge and put it into practice. It's trying. Yeah, it's just selling something to the person who's already pe- preaching for it. Right. And somebody's right. already sold. So it's really. It's really having a broader. So you got to become a good public speaker. You got to get in there and back to Toastmasters, and you got to yep. go into like I don't know. You're gonna have to go into different conferences around the world and somehow motivate these people to be like, "Hey, yep. you can actually make more money by what I'm telling you to do, as opposed to being afraid that it's gonna cost you money." Well, I've got I actually got a another presentation coming up in two weeks. I don't know when this is gonna be um, on the live on the podcast, but on October 26th. Uh, I'll be at the for anyone who speak French out there, but we also welcome English speaking people. Um, I'll be speaking at the French Vancouver Chamber of Commerce awesome. on uh, October 26th. Um, so you can check check them out online. Perfect. Yeah, we'll come by if you're French speaking. Go see <laughs> yeah, Max. It'll be my, my French my first French presentation. Actually, it'll be it'll be quite the challenge. Good stuff, man. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Is there anything else that you want to put out there today? Anything that we didn't really touch on? Um, there's so much we haven't touched on for sustainability wise. We could talk about supply chain governance within business. We could talk about, um, designing the product, which is basically the foundation of sustainability, how you design your product is going to dictate what you need for that product to be made. Um, all the way to really your board of director, who you're choosing to be on the board of directors and just per expertise or per values, um, really how you want your business to run. That's obviously for um, privately held businesses. It's a totally different ballgame for uh, public companies because you got shareholders to, to be uh, accountable for. But I would say educate yourself. For everything you don't know, be curious. Look at every single your company you're doing business with. Like you said, you're voting with your dollars. So before spending $1, actually, we're always thinking that voting happens once every four years. But that vote has not have the impact of what your money has. Because if you stop purchasing from one company and another one does it and another one does it and another one does it, that's where the company needs to shift gear. And we need to stop... And I'm including myself sometimes in there too. We need to stop saying, oh, as an individual, it's not going to make an impact. Sure, yourself personally, you might not. But if every single person who would have made that change made the commitment, it would have been a really big impact overall. So you cannot underestimate the immensity that you can bring when you group people together. And I think you can see that in politics when people are really fed up about what's happening in one country and they just all go in the street at once. Sure. And that's how you make things happen. Now we kind of have to do the same thing on a global scale for our planet and the future and our kids. So how you spend your dollars, right? Made me think of Gandhi. You know, be the change you want to see in the world, right? There you go. 
I mean, it always comes down to that so often, right? And uh, it's true. Voting with your dollars, uh, educating yourself of who you're buying from, what kind of business they are. You know, are they B Corp certified? Or are they working towards that? You know, or are they just out for pure profit, right? And a lot of times you will see nowadays a sustainability um, section on the company's website. So even though they're not B Corp certified or they didn't apply for the certification, they usually have a list of what they're doing. Yep. Um, be careful, though. This is somewhat. You get into the greenwashing area. You can get greenwashed, but at least it gives you a perspective of if they thought about it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, we at have, least it's on their radar. Exactly, and yep. little things like um, our friend Derek with Mealshare. Like mm. This is one thing that instead of taking your girlfriend to a date somewhere, just go Guess to what? a meal share you restaurant. You can go to a meal share restaurant and you're going to make a little impact just because you decided to go out for dinner. And that's just a decision you made. And in Vancouver, the girls will love you for that because everyone <laughs> wants sustainability, right? You want to double press and be like, hey, baby, I'm going to take you for dinner. And guess what? We're going to share a meal with somebody on the other side of the world. Oh, my God. That girl will be head over heels for you. Yeah, just provided for more than yourself. That shows that you actually care for more than yourself as well. Exactly. And that's just one example out of so many out there. And like I said, just start being curious. There's Google for one thing. Google Google it out. Google, yeah. And shout out to Derek Juno for sure. Um, he listens to these things actually when he's when he's running around doing his marathon. He's hey, Derek, <laughs> hey Derek, if you're training right now, hey man, good job. Keep going, man. Keep keep pushing through those barriers. Yeah. Keep running. Keep doing your Ironmans. I I still need to go for a bike ride with that dude. But. Oh yeah. Well, you guys, that'd be a good race. You guys are pretty fit guys. Oh, after doing like all the training he had time to do, uh, he'd be kicking my. But pretty ah, good. you never know. Yeah, I think you can give him a run for his money. Though, <laughs> right. Well, anyways, that's awesome, Max. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And for anybody who wants to connect with you, how can they get a hold of you? Um, on my home, own website at leadingahead.com. So it's leading a h e a d dot com. So leading ahead one word dot uh, com. And um, there's a French Chamber of Commerce as well that you can check out if you're interested. Uh, just Google it out. I'm not exactly sure what their website is. Okay. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Maxim Charon 22 I'm going to have to spell that one for people. <laughs> M-A-X-I-M-E-C-H-A-R-R-O-N-2-2. Uh, that's for Twitter. And um, at Facebook, I'm on Leading Ahead as well for the company. Awesome. So you can check me out there. Well, amazing. Thank you very much for joining us today. And I really do appreciate you for coming on and the work that you're doing. I think it's really good stuff. And quite frankly, we need more of it going on. So thank you for everything you do. And hopefully we'll have you on again. Maybe we'll come on six months and give us a status update. That would be great, actually. I really enjoyed the experience. Thank you very much, very much for having me. Um, This is, like you said, discussion that needs to be Needs to be happening. Yeah, it needs to be out there. And we... For last word, I feel like society is very, not conservative, but scared of having the discussion because it is on the global scales. Everybody is touched and the outcome will be so great and probably painful that people are avoiding it. And that's one thing that humankind is doing, avoiding pain. 
Yeah. But you need to, same thing as a relationship or when you break your arm, or whatever, it's a lot of pain first, but then you get back up and you build even bigger. So that's what we need to do as a society and starting with our own individual. Our own choices, for sure. Yeah. Awesome, man. Great message. And uh, I look forward to having you on again. I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday at Toastmasters. Awesome, buddy. Thanks. All right, man. Well, until next time, again, if you want to come for a float, that's, just go visit the website, floats.ca. Use the promo code RECOVERY. Get you a 20% discount on a single float. And until next time, to whatever is. <laughs>